0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And I am Adam, and I am pastor to believers and to doubters, to unfaithful Christians and to faithful atheists. And Jesus was not afraid of questions, so neither are we here at One Question with Pastor Adam. So each Thursday, we are going to go over some questions and uh it's fun i'm having such a great time this is holy week and i was like i just feel so busy like some of you may have heard that holy week is kind of busy for pastors (laughs) it's a little bit of a busy week the busiest week of the year and i was like do i do one question today yes of course because i'm having so much fun hi amber good to see you and uh friends we're gonna i want to talk with you about holy week uh today because it is i think the most important week of the year for christians and uh you know i don't want to start any beef between christmas and easter <laughs> i wrote that in my uh weekly newsletter that went out yesterday. I love Christmas, uh, and it's awesome. Uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe good Friday, Easter, Holy week is more important. I don't know. I let's not start beef between Christian holidays. Okay. Let's not do that, Adam. Uh, let's just enjoy Holy week for what it is. But before we get to Holy week, Hey Luke, uh, I don't experience fear. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to hear more about that. Luke, uh, Luke, Luke, that's that's great. Good morning, Lita. Amber, this is my first Holy Week as a pastor. Phew! Bless you. This is so much. Amber, mm-hmm. I am feeling you. They named a fatherly figure after Christmas, uh, Luke says. Yes, uh, Father Christmas. Mm-hmm. What is that about? Anyway, I have some late breaking news uh, for all of you. I am so excited about today's episode, but I'm also excited because I have been in communication with one of my heroes who is just an incredibly nice human being and an incredibly great theologian. And like, as, as smart as this person is, they are also so kind and compassionate and, uh, it's. I've been communicating with Tom Ward uh, and Tom has written, he's an open and relational theologian uh, and he's written a book called Open and Relational Theology and also Pluriform Love. Tom has a book coming out that is, uh, it's called The Death of Omnipotence. <laughs> Ooh, the Death of Omnipotence. A lot of us have problems with omnipotence, uh, God's omnipotence. It's the it's the classic question, if God is so powerful and all all powerful and all good, then what is all this evil happening in the world? What is that about? Uh, Tom has a book coming out called The Death of Omnipotence. And uh, I forget what the rest of it is, but it's something about omnipotence. Uh, the, maybe the death of omnipotence and the life of omnipotence um, amipotence. Ami means love and potence means power. So this is like the power of the, the power of love. I was going to start breaking out into song, <laughs> the power of love. Do you remember that rock ballad from the 1980s? You don't want to hear me sing. So anyway, on March, on April 17th, Uh, During one of our church Zoom sessions, Uh, it's a Monday Zoom session where I usually show a video of a theologian or a social justice person, and then we have a conversation for an hour about that video. Uh, This is going to be our first live speaker at one of these Monday events. It's April 17th, four o'clock Pacific. Uh, You can get the Zoom link by uh, signing up for uh either the Clackamas United Church of Christ uh weekly emails or the pastor adam at adamerikson.com uh weekly emails and you can get the zoom link at one of those i am so excited tom is just uh, funny kind smart uh doing really great work when it comes to uh understanding theology um in better, healthier ways. So I invite you to uh join us for that. Excited about it. Uh Tom Ward, nice, Amber says yes. Uh Jessica says, yay, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jessica has read one of Tom's book. I've got, did I show you both of Tom's book? I think I did. Open and relational theology and pluriform love, and open and relational theology of well-being. Uh Jessica has read God Can't. Uh, this is. I don't know where Tom kind of goes after omnipotence, the all powerful God, Uh, God can't do things, certain things. (laughs) God can encourage us to love one another, but can't force us to love one another. Right. I mean, I think that that's, that's a lot of what this comes down to. Uh, Some of it is free will. I don't think that we have, uh, I think our free will is limited. We don't have unlimited free will. Um, Uh, But like, you know, I can't fly. Uh, So and uh, I mess up things all the time, which is why I need people to love me and forgive me. And that's where we're at. And that's sort of a good segue into Holy Week. (laughs) Did you like that? Here we go, people. Luke says God can't force us, but God can certainly tickle us. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Holy Week, because how has your week been? My week has been, as Amber says, full and busy, Uh, not just with pastoring stuff, but with family stuff, too. I took my son Gavin to his choir concert last night, and we stopped by um, the great American the great Chinese restaurant called uh, Panda Express. Come on, give it up for Panda Express. Give me an amen. So uh, it's my son's favorite restaurant. So we went there. I wore this shirt. God loves our transgender siblings in there. And uh, the person uh, who greeted us was like, oh, I love your shirt. Uh, I was not expecting that. And I was like, that's so sad. That's so sad that somebody would not be expecting a shirt that says god loves our transgender siblings that is like an indictment on christianity today uh that god would pick and choose who to love this is where this is where god is truly free the omnipotence am, that tom ord talks about god's power, if you're going to see it at all as power is the power to love because God loves all of God's children. God loves all humans. All of us created in the image of God. God loves all of us. God is God is free to be God in that God is love. If God was free to be anything other than love as 1 John says God is love if God was free to be anything other than love God would not be God can i get an amen are you following me are you tracking me on this god is god because god is love this is what holy week is all about god entering into our systems our human our human dynamics that that aren't reflections of the freedom of god the freedom of god is to always come to us in love that is what god's freedom is to love us just as we are and just as we are becoming to love us where we are at that is god's love now God enters into these human systems enters into these human dynamics that are not based on love that are based on sometimes not on the power of love but on the power of greed the power of uh seeking more power for ourselves <laughs> the power of um economic exploitation God enters into those systems through Jesus gets a little upset gets pissed causes some good trouble uh we're going to talk about that in holy week uh, when jesus goes to the temple and this is what leads jesus to be killed on good friday is that he's making like john lewis and causing some good trouble that is what this is about and jesus is doing this because he is rooted in the prophetic tradition of his spirituality of judaism Jesus is with firmly within the prophetic tradition. So a lot of times people will say, oh, Jesus is going against Judaism. No, Jesus is firmly rooted as a first century Jew in Judaism, which, oh man, this is the gift. This is part of the power of our Jewish siblings and the Jewish tradition is this prophetic self critique. We're not living into the God who is, merciful the god who is love and we need to do better that's the that's the prophetic critique that jesus is living into so what is holy week all about uh it's about uh political subversion economic subversion religious subversion this is subversive stuff right here that's going on in holy week so holy week starts on palm sunday uh that was this last sunday And on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, and the crowds chant Hosanna, which means save us. They chant son of David. Now, what is this? This is loaded political language. The son of David is David is the greatest king in all of Israel. And so you're looking for another great king. Uh, This is, this is the hope that we often have of a political leader who will finally do the right thing, right? This is, this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, but what is Jesus riding on? Do you remember? A donkey, (laughs) a donkey, like, like on, like Shrek, right? Donkey. And what, what, what does he do? He, he rides in on, uh, in some versions it's a donkey, some versions it's a colt, like a a baby horse someone's a donkey and a horse jesus is like seriously if you imagine this i think it's in matthew where it says a donkey and a uh colt uh going back to zechariah uh who has this prophetic vision of uh the messiah riding in on a donkey and a colt uh so jesus is like straddling them or surfing on them one foot on one donkey and one foot on a colt right Th- the point is that jesus is riding in uh people are chanting hosanna which means save us save us from what the romans the roman occupation save us from our enemies uh they're chanting uh hail to the son of david political subversion because th- they're expecting jesus to be a king and guess what there's already a king king there's already a king here right and so jesus enters into jerusalem uh not on a what you would expect not on a warhorse but here comes the king riding in on a colt that i think one of the one of the gospels says has never been writ- ridden before right <laughs> has not been trained has not been trained in the ways of war right this is the nonviolent Political subversion that the Gospels are giving us, and it is like this march, this non-violent protest that Jesus is leading, that is protesting the way that the world works. Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan uh, wrote a book called *The Last Week*, which is which goes through Holy Week, and they say that on Palm Sunday, when Jesus is riding uh, on the donkey and the that on the other side of town, uh, Jesus is doing this uh, during Passover. And Passover is the holy week uh, for our Jewish siblings that uh, celebrates the exodus from Egypt and the end of oppression in Egypt. And so there's all of this excitement about maybe God is on the move and doing something again to save us from our oppressors. And so during this week, the Roman uh, guards, the Pilate, the governor would come in on a war horse on the other side of Jerusalem and basically saying, don't get your hopes up because remember who's in charge here, Rome. And we've got all the power of Rome on our side, all of the violence of Rome on our side, because all of our taxes go to uh, the military industrial complex. <laughs> Does it sound familiar? Does this sound at all familiar? And Jesus is like, yeah, we're not playing that game. We're not doing that. We're going to show the world a different way. We're going to subvert the way of Rome, which is Rome had military propaganda that may also sound familiar to you, which is uh, peace through strength, peace through military might. Uh, You know, uh, the United States believes the same thing. (laughs) Peace through military might. Well, how's, how's, how's that doing for us, right? Peace through violence is a cultural way of life three peace through defeating and killing our enemies is a way of life that is toxic that will infect a whole nation and lead to its own demise i am not telling you this jesus is telling us this jesus when he says we're going to get to this a little bit later when he says those who live by the sword die by the sword he is just telling us that if you are going to continue to live by weapons, you're going to destroy yourselves with those weapons. That's the prophetic truth that Jesus is giving us. Sadly, it's Christians today who have turned the second amendment into an idol. And Jesus leads this nonviolent protest march into Jerusalem. If you're thinking of the amazing high schoolers in Tennessee who are marching on the Capitol there demanding uh, better gun laws, better gun restrictions, you're thinking the right stuff. This is exactly what Palm Sunday, this is exactly what Holy Week is all about this nonviolent protest in a world that continually believes that violence is the way to peace. Holy week comes in and shakes us up and says, no, Jesus comes in, doesn't carry a sword as he enters into Jerusalem, gives us a different version of the son of David. Jesus could have come in and said, yeah, I'm the son of David. Do you remember what David did to Goliath? Yeah, took the sword, beheaded that dude. <laughs> you you may remember David uh, had the slingshot, nailed Goliath in the head, uh, and then cut his head off with a uh, sword. Jesus could have come into Jerusalem carrying the sword and was like hey yep i'm the son of david here's the sword we're gonna kill goliath aka the roman empire and uh that's what we're gonna do jesus shows us that's not the way of god because violence only leads to more violence only more more and more cycles of violence so palm sunday we often miss this because so much of christianity just wants to say that we are just christianity is just a religion about where you go after you die no christianity In Jesus is here to challenge and subvert economic systems, political systems, I meant to say, but also economic systems. We'll get to that in a bit. Political systems that are based on violence over and against others, who's included and who's excluded. So that is Palm Sunday. What's with the palms? Uh, Just a little bit more on Palm Sunday. What's with the palms? Uh, Palms were in the ancient Roman uh, world uh, in mythology. Uh, symbol of, of conquest of peace of basically military strength through violence. Uh, that's what the palm branch was a symbol of. You often see palm branches on coins uh, with emperors uh, and with mythological gods, uh, Nike being one of them. Uh, so uh, here the Christian tradition has taken some of ancient mythology ancient Roman and Greco-Roman religious, uh, mythology stories and subverting it, taking it for its own, right? (laughs) This is part of the genius of early Christianity is how it took, uh, it, it took symbols of other religions and subverted them. So, uh, in the ancient Roman empire, people would go around saying uh caesar is lord hail caesar caesar is lord right well the early christians went around and took that phrase and said no 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 jesus is lord right there was a phrase that said uh there is no other name under heaven that one can be saved than that of caesar (laughs) and if that sounds familiar to you it's because uh the early christians went around saying "No." (laughs) <laughs> there's there's no other name that one can be saved than that of christ and what does that mean this is much more than about merely belief in the deity of jesus this is about a way of life the way of rome will not save you the way of violence will not save you the way of the gun will not save you the way of christ the way of love, that is our hope. That is what is going to save us. So, uh, you know, people can have this intellectual ascent, this intellectual belief in Jesus, but do they trust his way of life? That I think is what Jesus is getting at. Belief in in the um, Greek of the New Testament is the word pistis, which also means faith trust right belief is is the intellectual ascent part but f- much more important and i think and also can be translated as do you trust this do you trust this way of life that jesus is giving us about loving our enemies well let's let's see let's see so <laughs> that's sunday that's palm sunday and uh it's 11:23 and uh we're just getting started here folks so <laughs> let's go so uh Holy Monday and Holy Tuesday and Holy Wednesday uh, are are next. So Holy Monday remembers when Jesus goes to the temple and flips the tables, right? (laughs) Jesus goes to the temple and flips the tables, and he's doing this because he is firmly rooted within the prophetic tradition. Jeremiah critiques the temple. I think Isaiah critiques the temple. Why? Because the temple isn't doing what the temple is supposed to do. Jesus uh, says that you, that God's house is to be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Here Jesus is subverting the religious authorities of his day the religious elite of his day why because they're not making god's house into a house of prayer for all nations all nations here means all people all nations here means our nation yeah but also those nations right you are all Invited and included into this project that God is starting in this temple. And what does does that project look like? Whatever it looks like, it looks like a diversity of people from different places, different ideologies, different understandings of who God is. But what is the thing that unites us? You're all included on this. You're all included in this Project that God is doing, and that's what that's what this is. It's a project of inclusion. So when religious elite start taking power for themselves to declare who is included and who is excluded, uh, you know that Jesus is going to come flip some tables. <laughs> that's what this is about. Whether we want to exclude poor people, uh, people of other religions, people who think about God a little bit differently than we do, uh, people of other nations. Um, other skin tones. Jesus is going to come flip some tables, right? Uh, Jesus may be doing that, not just in our temples or in our places of worship, but also in our hearts. Jesus is going to show up as a bunch of high schoolers going to protest and flipping tables at the Tennessee house uh tendency government saying we demand something better from you right that's jesus that's jesus entering right there uh so that is holy monday holy tuesday jesus has caused some good trouble and he knows what happens when good trouble is caused the religious elite the empire strikes back you get that star wars reference you like that (laughs) Jesus knows knows the empire, the religious elite who are uh in bed with the empire, who are co-conspirators with the empire, uh, the religious elite who often benefit from relationships with the state, with the empire, they're gonna get together and they're gonna kill this guy. Jesus knows this. Not not because uh not because God has turned against Jesus but because Jesus knows that humans are turning against him. The religious elite are turning against him. Those, the, the powers and the principalities that Paul will talk about later, uh, the powers and the principalities turn against Jesus. And uh, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke each tell the story where Jesus enters into the temple near the end of his life. And this is the beginning of the end for Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John tells it differently. Jesus enters into the temple at the beginning of his ministry in the gospel of John. Uh, And then three years later, uh, for John, it's the raising of Lazarus that unites uh, the Uh, religious elite and the empire against Jesus. Why? Because once Jesus has shown that he has this kind of power of life and death, there's nothing holding him back, right? Except the empire thinks that the way to uh, stop Jesus is to kill him. That is what the gospel of John shows. That's what Matthew, Mark, and Luke show too, when Jesus goes to the temple and flips everything upside down and says, Uh, you're not doing what God is calling us to do. So the gospels tell it slightly differently, and that's okay. It's okay for them to have differences in telling the stories. They emphasize different things, uh, but the heart of it is the same. Jesus is coming. He's causing some good trouble. Jesus, as Luke said earlier, is not afraid of death. He's entering into it. He knows it's coming. This is what Holy Tuesday is about. Jesus predicts his death. And uh, in John 12, he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And this is what flips everything upside down. This is how Christianity flips everything upside down. The glorification of Jesus he says the hour has come the Son of man to be glorified very truly. I tell you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain but if it dies it bears much fruit this is this is how Christianity flips everything upside down. Jesus is God in the flesh, and Christianity says that God gets killed that is the the radical statement that Christianity makes that uh the other Other religions uh, typically don't. There are some myths of dying and rising gods, right? But uh, the monotheistic religions don't say that God can die. Christianity does. It's absurd. It's weird. And I just want to invite you to let Christianity be absurd and weird. God dies. God dies on Good Friday. Jesus knows that he is about to die. Uh, And... That is his glory. What? How could Jesus's death be his glory? We're going to get to that on on, uh, when we get to Good Friday. We're only on Tuesday here, people. So Jesus predicts his death. He says this is where he's going to be in his glory. I'll give you a little preview. Uh, Christianity often looks for the day when Jesus is high and lifted up, sitting on the throne of his glory. When is that? When he is high and lifted up and sitting on the cross that's the throne of his glory but we're only on tuesday so let's go to wednesday wednesday is about judas's betrayal wednesday uh remembers when judas uh, goes to the chief priests and says what will you give me if i betray him to you and they offer him 30 pieces of silver now i loved i love it's taken it it took me a while but i love judas i like when i grew up i was like oh judas is the betrayer he's the bad guy in the story maybe maybe he is maybe he's just like all of the other disciples who end up male disciples who end up betraying jesus abandoning him in his time of need judas uh, is the one who goes and, uh, betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas is not that different from any of the other male disciples, uh, who abandoned him and betray him. But, you know, there is a sense in which Christianity, Christian history has, um, scapegoated Judas, uh, has, has made him into the ultimate bad guy, made him into like this satanic figure, uh, that's an that's a very convenient way for christians to uh deny that we're all a little like judas there's all there's a little bit of judas in all of us there's a little bit of peter in all of us uh thank god there may be a little bit of mary in all of us too <laughs> there may be a little bit of that kind of faithfulness that that mary and the other women show that are willing to go all the way to the cross uh with jesus right peter says um on monday thursday tomorrow should we just go to monday thursday let's go to monday thursday monday thursday monday i when i grew up i was like what is monday monday thursday what is that that's weird (laughs) monday comes from the latin word mandate uh so this we should just call it mandate thursday Uh, in English. Mandate uh, refers to the new commandment that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John uh, during what is typically known as the Last Supper, uh, where Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's what Monday Thursday refers to, the mandate. Now, uh, I mentioned traditionally known as the Last Supper. I want to invite you I want to tell you, (laughs) invite is is too weak of a word in this moment as I'm thinking about this. I want to tell you, this is not the Last Supper. This is not the Last Supper that Jesus shares with his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, the resurrected Jesus uh, meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he eats with them. If you want to talk about the Last Supper it is not about Jesus going to his death. It is about Jesus being resurrected and coming back to his disciples and saying, "Hey, I'm not done with you yet. We've got more work to do. Let's eat." That's the last supper. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Uh, I'm not done with you yet. Let's eat. <laughs> Jesus here uh in the resurrection. I'm already at Easter. Good Lord, you can't stop this. It's just it's just I just keep going. So Easter uh Uh, I'm going to talk more about it later, but, uh, the last supper is Jesus eating with his two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke, I think it's chapter 24. Right. Uh, and he gives them, he continues to give them food. He continues to eat with them. He continues to give them sustenance for the journey. And in a sense, there is no last supper because whenever we have communion, that's the last supper Jesus has been to, <laughs> and he keeps coming back for more, meeting us uh, in communion, uh, giving us more sustenance for the journey ahead when we will experience betrayal of one another. We will experience abandonment for one another, and Jesus comes and meets us where we are and says, this isn't the end. Judas, uh, it, um, we none of us get out of this world without causing harm to others and without being harmed by others. Judas causes harm to Jesus, and he sees it, he knows it, he repents of it, and he can't shake it. Peter causes harm to Jesus by abandoning Jesus. And Peter also weeps, He also feels guilty, right? But Peter is able to accept, I messed up. Jesus comes back and I can do better. I can try again, at least. The only difference between Judas and Peter is that Judas may not have been able to accept that forgiveness. Judas may not have been able to... uh, Many of us feel like we deserve that forgiveness, but when it comes to Jesus and forgiveness, it's not about deserving. It's the free gift. It's like how we started off talking about God's love. God is free, ultimately free to love, which means God's love is not based on whether you deserve it or not. That wouldn't be free love. That would be based on you deserving it. God still loves Judas. God loves the Judas in you. God loves the Judas and me. Great thing about the story of Judas is that here on Monday Thursday when Jesus says love one another as I have loved you he feeds all of them including Judas. I think Jesus probably knows that Judas is going to betray him. Maybe maybe he has some special divine insight into that or maybe Jesus just knows human human nature human action. Maybe he's witnessed and observed Judas carefully and knows that Judas is incredibly disappointed in who Jesus is and what he's about. And Judas was expecting something more and knew that Judas was going to betray him. And Hey, guess what? I, I often want something more from God. I often am disappointed in God. I'm often disappointed in Jesus. I sometimes would want a Jesus who destroys my enemies, who hates the very people that I hate. Well, Jesus comes and says, you gotta love your enemies. Doesn't mean you don't work for justice. Doesn't mean you don't cause some good trouble. Doesn't mean you don't rise up against religious oppression and call it out where you see it. But, But you still love the person. Uh, okay. Uh, we're okay. Monday, Thursday. So, uh, you know, Monday, Thursday is also the day, uh, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and, uh, he asks the, he asks his disciples to stay awake and they can't, they fall asleep. Uh, Jesus stays woke. (laughs) Did you like that? Jesus stays woke. Uh, Jesus stays awake in the garden of Gethsemane. He prays to God that, uh, God would would take this cup away from him, uh, and God doesn't. That's in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John, Jesus has is, is different. Jesus doesn't pray that God takes this away from him. Jesus knows that this is happening, and he accepts it. He doesn't have this struggle with God in, in the Gospel of John. That's okay. They're different. That's okay. The Gospel of John is different tells the story very differently and that's okay they can both be true right uh yeah they can both be true and uh we can gain some wisdom out of both of those uh stories even though they tell it differently but in the synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke jesus praise that the cup will be taken away from him. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want to suffer. Jesus in his full humanity doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't want to go to the cross. And so Jesus wants to find a way out. But at this point, um, God is does not want Jesus to go to the cross either. But what God wants Jesus to do is to stay loyal to his mission, his divine mission, which is to enter into systems of oppression and challenge them, subvert them, seek to transform them. And when you do cause this kind of good trouble, uh, bad things may happen. Jesus wants this cup to pass from him, but God is insisting that Jesus continue to cause some good trouble to be, uh, many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich, it's a great 20th century example of this, uh, along with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, uh, another great example of this in the United States, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is an example of this in Nazi Germany, uh, who was, uh, you may be surprised to know that most Christians in Nazi Germany went along with Hitler. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't. Uh, and wanted to be a spoke in the wheel of the Nazi machine and like, you know, put, uh, put a stick in the bicycle, the wheel of the bicycle (laughs) and stop the Nazi machine, have it flip over on itself. Uh, so they often call Dietrich Bonhoeffer a spoke in the wheel. Jesus was a spoke in the wheel of the Roman, uh, and religious elite of violence, He's that spoke in the wheel and when you put that spoke in the wheel uh the empire is going to strike back and that's what good friday is all about so god says basically to jesus you got to continue being the spoke in the wheel and humans end up killing jesus which brings us to good friday this good friday uh what is so good about good friday it shows us that god Uh, seeks to subvert the systems of oppression that's the all woke means uh, by the way is recognizing being awake to the oppression in the world and seeking to transform it jesus was woke uh, and so god is woke and seeks to transform oppressive systems uh, seeks to transform those of us who are caught up in oppressive systems i include myself in that um, and uh, in ways that um, uh, uh, benefit from oppressive systems as a cisgender white male, uh, upper middle class, I'm I'm part of that system. I benefit from that system. And every I I every <laughs> I have to try uh, to recognize that within myself and work against it um, so that I can work for a more just and a better world. Uh, And I think that um, Jesus is inviting us into that and to recognize the risks that that may take. So uh, Good Friday is the results of Jesus being the spoke in the wheel. Uh, The religious elite, the political elite uh, uh, unite together. This is... The high priest Caiaphas says that it is better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. This is the formula that often religious elite have. It's the scapegoating formula. Uh, If we continue to allow Jesus to cause good trouble, Rome may come after us. Right. even if we're all caught up in this Roman system <laughs> that is oppressing people and Jesus is right, I'm benefiting from this and Hey, whatever, uh, we got to kill Jesus. Um, so this is the, this, these are the forces that end up killing Jesus on the cross, right? The good news is that Jesus is, is that God, the good, the good thing about good Friday is that God is, looks at the world and sees the oppression and says, this is wrong. Good Friday is the divine no to human oppressive systems. This is good news because a lot of the ancient world and a lot of our world today looks at oppressive systems and says, this is just how the world is, baby. There's no getting out of this. This is just how it is, accept it. Good Friday says, no, we're not accepting this. We're going to enter into this. We're going to be the spoke in the wheel and we're going to try to stop this. And even if that causes our own death uh, and Luke, as, as Luke mentioned earlier, uh, Luke, isn't afraid of death. Uh, I think I still am. <laughs> I think I still am. Uh, Jesus, I think, in the garden of gethsemane has a fear of death and after he goes through that experience in the garden of gethsemane when he's like sweating so hard that he's bleeding when he goes through that experience i he comes out the other side in the garden of gethsemane and he has this trust in god that death does not have the last word that god's love is so powerful that Will be there for us even after death. What does that look like? Easter. But we're still at Good Friday. So Good Friday uh, is Jesus being high and lifted up, sitting on the throne of his glory. That's where Jesus, remember, as we said a few minutes ago, Jesus says, uh connects his death with his glory. It sounds, this is the weirdness of Christianity. How could this be glorifying? Because usually when we think of glory, we think of a king sitting on his throne in his palace, thinking about glory as Jesus sitting on uh, being nailed to a cross and dying. That's glory. That's messed up. That's what that is. This is Rome. This is the empire striking back. This is Rome winning. No, this is Jesus showing us the radical, nonviolent love of God. G- God's love, God is so free to love that we can do our worst to God in the flesh, and God will come back because God's freedom is true freedom. The freedom of God's love is so free that we can do our worst to God. We can tear God to pieces, throwing God up on the cross and God will respond, not with threats of violence and revenge. Jesus won't pray for revenge against his enemies. He will pray for forgiveness, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did they know what they do? I don't know. I don't know exactly what Jesus meant by that. Caiaphas seemed to know what he was doing. Um, And by saying it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. That's the scapegoat mechanism right there. That's the scapegoat formula. Caiaphas seems to have known that he was doing it. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, except for that guy Caiaphas. He knows what he's doing. Maybe in some sense, we we don't know the full extent of what we're doing. We don't know the full harm of what we're doing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but there are some people who are like, well, if you really know what you're doing... <laughs> then God doesn't forgive you. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that this is a radically inclusive statement that Jesus is making that on some level, we don't know the full extent of the harm that we might be causing. And God comes to us in the spirit of forgiveness on Good Friday, where even when we kill God in the flesh, that God comes to us in the spirit of forgiveness and forgiveness does not say, does not let you off the hook. Forgiveness does not say, hey, it's okay, whatever. No, forgiveness says there are serious harms that are being caused here. That's what forgiveness is about. It says there are serious harms here and they need to be dealt with. And that's where Easter Sunday comes in. Uh, But before we get to Easter Sunday, there's Holy Saturday. Uh, I'll quickly talk to you about Holy Saturday. It's my favorite day of the year, uh, partly because of this amazing book that I have called Christ, the Conqueror of Hell. Uh, The Descent into Hades from the Orthodox Perspective. You you may not be aware of this uh, because it's a hidden treasure within Christian tradition, uh, but this book, Christ the Conqueror of Hell, shows how on Holy Saturday, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Jesus, there's this tradition that stems from the New Testament, uh, I think it's First Peter, where it says that uh, Jesus, and also in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus descends into hell, right, uh, between Good Friday and Uh, Easter Sunday. But what is Jesus doing there in hell? Uh, Jesus goes down into hell and defeats Satan, uh, opens the gates of hell, tears them down and drags Adam, the first man and all of humanity out with him. That's what Holy Saturday is all about. And I want to read to you just a little bit from this book, because there's this fourth century pastor, preacher named John Chrysostom, He's called uh, Chrysostom, I think he's called the Golden Tongue uh, because he is known as the greatest preacher in Christian history, (laughs) which means he was pretty good theologian, too. Right. Uh, So uh, he has a sermon that he preached uh, on the homily on the cemetery and the cross. (laughs) Not a great title, (laughs) If I started titling my sermons like that, I don't think anybody'd come back. But here, <laughs> homily on the cemetery and the cross. Ooh, okay, um, here's what he says in this in this sermon. So Christ by his death bound the chief of robbers and the jailer, that is the devil and death, and transferred his treasures, that is the whole human race, to the royalty treasure the tyrant is captured, the strong is bound, death itself having thrown away its arms ran naked to the king's feet. So this is, I didn't need to read that last part, but uh, I I like death running naked to the king's feet. That's such great imagery. (laughs) So what, what John Chrysostom is saying, this is fourth century, 360 about, I think. This great theologian, this great preacher, says that Christ by his death bound the chief robbers and jailers, that is the devil and death, and transferred his treasures, that is the entire human race. Nobody gets left out of this for John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom is the orthodox of orthodox. It is not heretical to believe in something like universal salvation. Why? Because John Chrysostom is known as one of, is. As orthodox. It doesn't get much more orthodox than John Chrysostom. And here he is saying that the whole, the entire human race is affected by Holy Saturday. Jesus going down into the gates of hell, destroying those gates, binding the strong man, Satan, and grabbing Adam and the whole human race out with him into the royal treasury. What is the royal treasury? Heaven. That's what John Chrysostom is talking about. So Holy Saturday, my favorite day of the year, because Jesus enters into hell. And uh, how many of you have experienced hell in your life, your own personal hell? Well, guess what? Holy Saturday tells us that Jesus comes and meets us in our hells, that you're not alone in your hell. That's what this story is about jesus coming into the depths of our own inner hells meeting us where we're at sitting with us in our hells maybe dragging us out of our hells when we're ready i've needed that in my life maybe you have too i don't know maybe you're in your own hell right now i know many of us are and you're not alone the resurrected Jesus on Holy Saturday shows us that you are not alone in your hell. Jesus is there with you. Oh, that's Christ, the conqueror of hell. Can't the the book is a little academic, but uh, if you want the history of, of all of this and see how it's rooted within ancient Christianity, there's, I don't think there's, there's not much of a better book than Christ, the conqueror of hell. So uh, yo, Emily, good to see you. Uh, So uh, now Easter, Easter Sunday, Jesus resurrects and, uh, comes back. Do you remember that Saturday night live skit called, uh, it was based on Django unchained. It was, when was that? Many years ago. Uh, they did a skit called the Jesus uncrossed. <laughs> it was about the resurrected, the resurrection came around about Easter and man, so many Christians got pissed off about it, but, that skit, "Did Jesus Uncrossed," had Jesus coming back, and it was such a great skit because the parody of it just put put everything into perspective. If you can watch it on YouTube, I highly recommend it. Um, because Jesus comes back in De Jesus Uncrossed" uh, for revenge, for vengeance, comes back with. Uh, his machine gun uh, and starts killing off the Romans. Right. This is, I I love this skit because it is such a stark contrast. It puts before us the difference, the radical differences, our expectations would be for Jesus to resurrect and come back and act like a, a ghost out for revenge. When Jesus comes back, he def- he continues to defy expectations. He continues to subvert our expectations and the uh, political machinery that is based on uh, if you hit me, I'm gonna hit you back harder so that you don't hit me again. That's the way the world works. Jesus resurrects to show us a different way a way that has nothing to do with violence, but everything to do with the offer of forgiveness and peace. Jesus comes back uh, to his disciples in the resurrection to Mary. One of his most important disciples comes back to Mary. Mary is there at the tomb. Uh, Matthew and John both tell this story where Jesus goes to meets Mary. And uh, Jesus says to Mary, go tell, go tell the men, uh, that I'm resurrected and have them meet me, uh, at this place. Right. So the word apostle means one who is sent. Mary is the apostle to the apostles. Mary is the apostle of the resurrection, the teacher, the preacher, the proclaimer of the resurrection to the men. Mary teaches the men. Jesus has been treating women this way throughout his ministry. You especially see this in the gospel of Luke, uh, where, uh, women, uh, another Mary sits at Jesus's feet. Uh, and the only person, the only people that sit at a rabbi's feet is, uh, a disciple, somebody who is learning from their rabbi and is going out to teach other people about what their rabbi has been teaching. Jesus, this is how Jesus treats women. So for us today, for any anybody today to say, oh, women can't teach men, blah, 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 uh, goes against the way, goes against Jesus, goes against what how Jesus treated women. So uh, we get that with uh, Mary who goes and tells the men. Uh, one of my other favorite stories is uh, Thomas, Doubting Thomas, where uh, all of the disciples except for thomas are in this upper room thomas is somewhere else um uh, not with the men and uh jesus enters into it and um shows the disciples his wounds on his hands and his side Uh, thomas comes um, a week later and jesus comes to thomas and uh thomas tells the disciples before this i will only believe if i put my hands in his side and see it right so jesus comes to him and shows thomas his wounds thomas touches them what i love about this story is that the resurrected jesus still has wounds because we all have wounds we've all been wounded in this life jesus carries those wounds with him, they're they're kind of holy wounds. Uh, Jesus shows his disciples his wounds, and his disciples have something to do with those wounds by abandoning him, betraying him. They have some role to play in it, and Jesus comes to them and shows him how vulnerable he has been in his life. This is God in the flesh who is wounded. Even God gets wounded in this world. Oh. I wish it wasn't the case. We all get wounded. Even God gets wounded. Jesus shows them the divine wounds of the resurrection. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says it three times to them. Why? Because they think that he's out to to get them. They think he's going to be de Jesus uncrossed. <laughs> they think, they think, they think he's going to be out for revenge. Jesus says, no, that's not what God's like. This is where we have been told repeatedly. I've been told repeatedly, I don't know about you, that if you turn your back on God, God's going to turn God's back on you. The the resurrection is so important to our understanding of God because it subverts that whole message. If you turn your back on God, God is going to come back to you and say peace be with you. Let's do this again. Still have a mission for you. Uh in another story the resurrected Jesus uh comes to Peter who's back out fishing on the boat. Uh I think it's in the gospel of John and uh Peter sees the resurrected Jesus on the beach comes out um and uh Jesus eats some fish with them. Jesus is still eating. <laughs> so good. Uh, eat some eat some fish with them and uh, says to Peter, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yeah, you know I love you. You know I love you. Uh, then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is, this is Jesus saying, yeah, you messed up. We all mess up. Saying to Peter, yeah, you messed up but I still have a mission for you. You still have a job. Go out there and feed people, literally, figuratively, spiritually, however you want to take it. Jesus, Easter is about God never turning God's back on us, even when we turn our back on God, God coming back to us and saying, I still have a mission for you. I'm not done with you yet. There's still work to do. There are still sheep and lamb to feed. There are people to continue to care for, to love, uh, and that is Holy Week. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I hope you got something out of it. Uh, okay, let's go to some some comments. Amber says uh, that's badass, uh, and uh, and and the cross. Yeah, eh, I love it. Uh, golden mouth uh jeff says stoma yeah john chris's stome, yes stoma yeah there you go uh uh, thank you dina thank you um oh dietrich bonhoeffer i would love maybe i'll do a, a session sometime on dietrich bonhoeffer or get a bonhoeffer scholar uh to come in i love dietrich bonhoeffer uh joshua says i believe looking at the enemy is accepting the enemy within right Ooh, good and then we could make peaceful decisions. Oh, accepting the enemy within. Yeah. That goes back to, um, what I was trying to get out with Judas, right? The Judas within, if you can accept the Judas within and say, yeah, Judas within me, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, to accept the Judas within, uh, is accepting, uh, the enemy is accepting the enemy within, uh, Joshua. That is good stuff. I love it. Uh, Jeff says, someone says the script for every single Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. (laughs) Oh, Amber, we will not be inviting Eric Metaxas that do not read Eric Metaxas's book on Bonhoeffer. Uh, and don't, don't do the, uh, don't do the reverse psychology thing where, oh, Adam said, don't read Eric Metaxas's book on Bonhoeffer. So I'm going to read it. That book is awful. That is the worst, the worst book on Bonhoeffer that the world has ever created. Don't read Eric Metaxas's book on Bonhoeffer. (laughs) Oh, I read it. And it was just, I went to my college professor of religion afterwards and i was like i i was like he he he's written uh some stuff on bonhoeffer like a compili- a book uh that um is about some heroes that he's had uh bonhoeffer uh mother teresa uh don melder cameron uh anyway i went to him and i was like dude this book on bonhoeffer like it did something to it was awful and he was like oh that was the worst book i've ever read oh so bad um googling dietrich bonhoeffer now yeah joshua uh he wrote a book no it's just just fantastic um okay uh bonhoeffer is definitely worth knowing definitely worth knowing oh princess i'm so glad i'm so glad that uh you understand uh holy week now um good 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 okay let's see what else do we have here um Uh, Joshua says, ah, the actual last supper was perhaps the first supper. Uh, could, I think Jesus is like always eaten. Jesus is like suppers all over the place. Uh, my favorite miracle, uh, John calls them signs, but it happens like right in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, uh, is where Jesus is at the wedding, uh, at Cana and he turns the water into wine. Uh, I love that because he keeps the party going. Jesus didn't come here to like Jesus at the beginning of Jesus's ministry in the gospel of John. I think it's fair to say that the son of God truly, truly human, truly divine came to party. (laughs) Can I get an amen in the chat section? Jesus came to party in, in Luke. Uh, Jesus begins his ministry by saying, by quoting the prophet Isaiah, we've talked about this before uh, in a previous podcast. Um, and it, he quotes the prophet Isaiah chapter, f- oh man, 50, uh, whatever. I should know this. <laughs> I'm feeling embarrassed right now. What chapter is 57, 60. 62, 61, 61. I knew it would come to me. I'm not so embarrassed anymore. Uh, Isaiah 61, where uh, he says that I've come to bring good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free, um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then to die. No, Jesus was not sent to the earth to die. He was sent to the earth to transform unjust systems that lead to oppression, that lead to uh, spiritual blindness, that lead to people being held captive in prison, uh, that lead to poverty. The the year of the Lord is the uh, year of Jubilee, which our friend Luke talks about uh, frequently. The year of Jubilee was the year of the release of all debts. This is economic. So Jesus comes to transform oppressive religious, political, and economic systems so that people can be free from those systems of oppression. Jesus doesn't say as he's beginning his ministry, all right, guys, I came to die for all of you. That's not his ministry. It ends up becoming his ministry because he is the spoke in the wheel that stops the systems of oppression and those who benefit from oppression end up killing him that's that's what jesus's death on good friday is about not that god wanted him to die but god wanted him to be the spoke in the wheel so yeah jesus is always eaten. <laughs> that's what i love about him he's always eaten with his disciples and and with others tax collectors prostitutes jesus jesus came to party uh, Joshua, I can relate to Judas, honestly, betrayed, betrayed himself. And Jesus knew that period. Yeah. Um, how many of us have betrayed ourselves, betrayed others, betrayed ourselves at Joshua. That's a great way to look at it. Judas recognizes that he is not only betrayed his friends, including Jesus, but he is betrayed, uh, betrayed himself. We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, Yeah uh luke there is no other name under heaven than that one can be saved but that of caesar <laughs> hashtag <laughs> luke i love your hashtags so good so good yeah that's the where i was talking earlier about the ways that the early christians used roman religious and military propaganda and uh subverted it by using it for jesus there is no other name under heaven than one can be saved than that of Caesar. That was the propaganda of the ancient Rome. Uh, and and the early Christians took it and said there is no other name under heaven than one can be saved than that of Jesus. So good. Jesus doesn't carry a sword, but cotton candy sticks to give out to children at the fair. Oh, I I like it. I like it. That's good. That's a great image. I love it. Also demanding that Republicans not infringe on the right to protest. Yes, Luke nonviolent protest march let's go peace through uh peace through violence is how the world works peace through peace through love peace through nonviolent direct action uh is the way of jesus yeah so all right uh princess is uh clapping at jessica uh or waving waving i was going to say uh what's going on here okay so in my uh version jesus is okay a centaur that's good uh princess is uh one of the things we need to be saved of when Jesus comes in and people say hosanna which means save us uh save us from ourselves uh yeah save us from our own self destructiveness uh is 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 a good one uh Joshua says i've been trying to understand this topic since sunday school well i'm glad i could answer everything for you Joshua <laughs> here we go this is a lifelong lifelong commitment to understanding um jesus and god and the bible and uh how it subverts all of our human oppressive systems so (laughs) i'm glad we're in this together glad we're in this together um luke says one interesting part of my week is i'm delegate for the democratic party in my city this year oh luke good for you good for you uh get some good trouble going on there uh, as I know you will, Luke, you, you are a good troublemaker, so. Okay, I think those are all of our comments slash questions, so, uh, that's fun, that's fun. Uh, thank you all for being here. Just a reminder, uh, sign up for the Pastor Adam, uh, Newsweek, uh, newsweek news articles each week Uh, they come out on wednesdays uh hopefully i give you something good uh i will be giving you something good in the next couple of weeks because on april 17th uh my uh, our one of my great teachers tom ord uh, is going to be joining us for a monday conversation at four o'clock uh tom uh has written books on open and relational theology wrote a book called God can't, which, uh, kind of goes after helps us understand, uh, the dangers, the problems with understanding God is omnipotent. Uh, and, um, Tom is coming out with a book called the death of omnipotence. And, um, I think the rest of it is like the life of uh, Omnipotence, which is, uh, the power of love uh, am a potent. So, uh, Tom is going to be joining us at four o'clock on April 17th for a little Q and a, uh, about, you know, easy questions. Like, uh, if God is all powerful and all good, then why is there so much evil in the world? So yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go, Tom. Uh, Tom's, as I said before, kind, gentle, loving man, and also, uh, great theologian. So, uh, looking forward to that. So sign up for the, uh, Adam, Pastor Adam weekly, uh, news email for that, uh, at adamerikson.org or, uh, Clackamas United Church of Christ c-ucc.org, um, email, uh, weekly email too. Uh, you'll be able to find it there as well. So thank you all for being here. Thank you all for your comments and questions. You can keep up with one question with Pastor Adam, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, If you happen to listen on a place where you can review it, I would love for you to give me a five star review, maybe a little comment Uh, would be awesome too. So uh, you can keep up with all of my work at Raven Foundation, at uh, adamerickson.org, and also at Clackamas United Church of Christ. So friends, uh, hope you have a great rest of your Holy Week. Uh, If you are listening to this uh, sometime in the future and it's not Holy Week, uh, hope you have a great week. Uh, God loves you, and uh, grace and peace be with you, friends. Bye-bye.